Jesus seeks out the minimized, those who have been made to feel insignificant, those who have been told that you do not matter. The love of God transcends even socioeconomic status. He, a rabbi, a man of God, a man of education, speaking to a lowly woman, a woman with a scandalous past, he seeks her out. For the first time, a man looks at her without wanting to use her for his pleasures. For the first time, she experiences what it looks like for a man to look at her and see the image of God rather than something to be used and abused. He transcends the culture. He transcends the social economics. He transcends it and seeks out the marginalized, those who have been ignored and those who have been rejected. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Sam Parham. I'm the host for this show. Thank you for listening. Uh, this week, Daniel has taken us into a message that highly centers around a passage in John 4 where Jesus is talking to a woman at the well. Um, and Daniel does a great job breaking this passage down. Um, and essentially what the woman at the well wants is to be seen. She wants to be known by, by Jesus more than just um, for her reputation, but known truly for who she can be and who she is in Christ. Um, and I think that's what a lot of us want is just to be known. Um, and I think Daniel hits that home in this message um, and hits home her experience with Jesus. I think this is a really powerful message. Uh, this is week number two of our series called This Is Us. There's uh, four more weeks to come. We're excited about it. Um, here's Daniel. Enjoy the message. Hey, folks, how are you? Good, good. Super excited to be with you. My name is Daniel, and I am one of the teaching pastors here at Life Church. Uh, for some of you, that's old news. For others, that's still new information. So I'm super excited to be with you as we continue this series on This Is Us. Uh, a series that started about a week ago when Pastor Nathan kicked it off to discuss um, the code, You Belong, reminding us that we belong, you belong. Uh, regardless of your culture, regardless of your creed, regardless of who you are, you belong here. And as a reminder, a code is a statement that is measurable and, and actionable to remind us of who we have been, who we are now, and who we are becoming. And so he shared with us that regardless of who you are, you belong in this place and that God is essentially creating an orchestra and you and I have a role to play in that. We are all part of God's symphony. And as someone who is currently transitioning to Michigan with my family, coming out of our comforts, out of our friends, out of all that we know, it's a great message to tell me that I belong. And so I'm happy to belong with you and I'm happy you belong with me. Amen. Amen. And so if you will, uh, if you would stand for the reading of God's word, uh, we are going to be unveiling our second code today. Um, I want to couch that and, and sort of found that in scripture. We'll be in the book of John, gospel according to John chapter 4. We will be in verse 39 through 42. Short verses that we will try to unpack today. If you're there, say amen. amen. If you need some time, say slow your roll. Okay, good. And now I know you're all there because you see it on the, on the screen. Amen. John chapter 4, verse 39 through 42. 
from that city. Many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed with them for two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said why we believe. For now we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the savior of the world. It's no longer because of what you have said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves. We have personally seen and spoken and heard from God and now know that he indeed, Jesus indeed, is the savior of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this evening, knowing fully well that we are human, we are flawed, we are broken. We come to this with many baggages. We come to our gatherings with many hurts and many pains. Father, we pray that you would be with us even now in this evening. We pray that the Spirit of God will use the Word of God to reveal the Son of God. We pray that we would encounter your goodness, your grace, and your glory. We pray, God, that you would minister to us as only you can. Help both the speakers and the hearers. In Christ Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. 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 Encounter Jesus. Please be seated. You guys are great Christians, man. I love you so much. You were going to stay there the whole service, wouldn't you? You guys are awesome people. Encounter Jesus. That's the second installment in our code. Foundational code was you belong, regardless of who you are, your class, your credentials, your creed, your culture, you belong. But why do you belong? Why is it important for you to belong? It's because we want you to encounter Jesus. It's great. But in our culture, we have been used to people using words in different ways. And so I want to define terms this evening. What do we mean when we say encounter? This is not encounters of the, of the strange kind. Remember that show that you would encounter aliens? What do we mean when we say encounter? We speak of encounter as Merriam-Webster would define it. Encounter is to come into the presence of someone. It is to meet someone face to face. This has been the longing of all Christians from the beginning of time. All of God's people have sought one thing and one thing only, that I may see his face and know him as I am known. That I may encounter the Lord, that I may be in his presence. Because they know, like many of us know, that in his presence there is fullness of joy. They know, like many of us know, that in his presence you are comforted and you are completed. They longed for it. Moses longed for it. Moses lingered in the presence of God. In fact, it was said of Moses that he would not make a decision unless he sought the presence of God. I love the way that Pastor John always says it. We want to be known as people of God's presence. You see, people who spend time in the presence of the Lord 
look different, speak different, and act different. It is not to say that hard times don't befall them, but it is to say that they know that their God is greater than their circumstances. People of God's presence, people who spend time before God, the call for those of us who have encountered God is therefore to abide in his presence and to love other people into that very presence. We are beggars who found bread who are teaching other beggars how to find bread, the bread of life. This is what we observe in this text today. We see that a proxy encounter led to a personal encounter. In other words, the woman's testimony, the testimony of a Samaritan woman led to the transformation of a Samaritan city. Her testimony, her witness of her encounter with God led to others seeking their encounter with God. We find ourselves in chapter four where Jesus goes to Samaria. Now Jesus in Samaria might seem like a small thing to you, but it's a big thing. It shows that God's love transcends all barriers and boundaries. In this chapter, we see Jesus bringing the gospel to Samaria and by so doing, Jesus transcends cultural, social, economic, and racial prejudice. He goes to a people that have been marginalized, minimized, and maligned. He ministers to them. He spends time. He goes out of his way. In fact, in John chapter 4, verse 4, it says he had to go to Samaria, pointing us towards a divine appointment that God will seek out those who others have said don't matter, that they may encounter Jesus. He transcends the cultural norm because as a man speaking to a woman in that culture, it was unacceptable. The culture said you could not speak unless she was your wife or a family member. Jesus transcends that. Jesus seeks out the minimized, those who have been made to feel insignificant, those who have been told that you do not matter. The love of God transcends even socioeconomic status. He, a rabbi, a man of God, a man of education, speaking to a lowly woman, a woman with a scandalous past, he seeks her out. For the first time, a man looks at her without wanting to use her for his pleasures. For the first time, she experiences what it looks like for a man to look at her and see the image of God rather than something to be used and abused. He transcends the culture. He transcends the social economics. He transcends it and seeks out the marginalized, those who have been ignored and those who have been rejected. He brings them to himself. You belong to me because I made you. He transcends racial prejudice. A Jew speaking to a Samaritan. A Jew having a conversation with a Samaritan. Scandalous. In our day, it's hard to imagine, but the Jews saw the Samaritans as filthy people, as an impure race, as people that God has rejected. But these are the people that God seeks out and brings into his foe. He seeks out the malign, those who have been hated on and ridiculed. He brings them home to him, saying, you belong to me, encounter me, see me, speak to me face to face. You matter to me. Samaritan woman encounters the love of Christ. Jesus 
presence in Samaria displays God's love, a love that overrides all prejudice. This is what we call agape love, a unconditional, unmerited love, a love that cannot be lost because it's not based on what you do, say, or think. It's a love that says, I love you regardless of what you do, what you say, and who you are. Have you felt that type of love? It's hard, humanly impossible, because even the love that we have for our spouses, for our children, has some conditions with it. We say cute things like, I love you, but I don't like you. <laughs> Makes you feel better. How are you going to love somebody and not like them? But God's love is a love that abides. It's a love that stays. It's a love that stands. You belong because God loves you. You belong because we, people of God, love God's people. But even more importantly, you belong because we want you to, 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 to encounter the person of Jesus Christ. This woman meets him, encounters the love of Christ, and then shares that love with the world. She takes that love to a people who have rejected her. Now, here's what you need to know about this. The testimony of this woman leads to the whole city being saved, but you have to understand the psychology behind this. This was a woman that had gone through many husbands, many boyfriends, was considered to be a loose woman, essentially called a prostitute, a woman that was shone, and she couldn't even come out during the normal times where people came out. She had to come to the well during the afternoon hour, the, the, the hottest hour of the day, where no women, nobody was out at the well. She was prone to hiding herself because of the shame that she felt. And for her, a woman who would hold her head down, a broken, despondent, and depressed woman who couldn't even speak to normal people, now speaking to the men of the city. And you need to understand these men of the city were the, were the elites of the elites, the creme de la creme. These were the leaders. They would sit at the gate and discuss the matters of the, of the state. These were the political leaders, the religious leaders. And she now comes to them and tell them, let me tell you about this man who for the first time looked at me as a human being Yes, he told me all my pains. He convicted me of my sin, but he comforted me in his grace. She experienced grace and truth. She experienced grace in his truth and truth in his grace. She goes to them. She says, let me tell you of this man. Look in verse 28. She says, so the woman left her water pot. She was no longer concerned about why she came to the well. And she went back to the city. In verse 29, she came and said to them, see, a man that told me all the things that I have done. When you read this passage, you are tempted to assume this was a 20-minute conversation. And here's what we know. Jesus leaves his disciples and tells them to go to the city to get him food. They go two, three miles. Now, I don't know how fast you are at speed walking but it ain't 20 minutes. Now, keep in mind, all they did was walk. There wasn't no cars. They didn't have Uber. You know, Jerusalem, they didn't have a Jerusalem Uber at the time or Lyft, which the Holy Spirit was the only Lyft they had. <laughs> but they walked two miles or so to go find food in a place they have never been before because they, like regular Jews, did not go into Samaria. Now, have you ever gone to a store that you've been at multiple times, you still have to look for stuff? What happens when you go to a store you've never been at before? Do you think that's a five-minute conversation? Where do you find soap? Aisle 10. Go to aisle 10, it's not there. 
I'm telling you that they're spending time in the city. Hours have gone by. And remember, she said he told her everything she's done. Can you imagine that? Speaking to you about all of what you have gone through in life. Seeing all your warts and wrinkles, but still loving you in that process. The closest person to me is my wife. But no one knows your heart more than you, except for God. You know, if you've been married for more than a day, that there are some times where your spouse says something, and you know that if God wasn't good, you would have said some things back. But you said, I want to keep this marriage. I don't want to pay alimony. Whatever the reason is, you shut your mouth and you say, hmm. You know, black folks back when I grew up, they would just hum. And whenever an old black person hums, you know they had something that they really wanted to say that would mess your soul up. And they chose to save you some therapy bills is what they did. But this man looks at her tells her all of the pains, all of the struggles, all of the sins in her life. He says, bring your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, that's right, you've been through seven of them. And even the one you with right now is your maybe husband. You know what a maybe husband is? It means maybe he's here, maybe he's not. But he doesn't condemn her. He speaks truth to her. See, folks, love is not obscuring the truth. Love, when you love someone, is not you keep the truth from them. Love means you tell them exactly what they might not want to hear. But love means that you're there to pick up the pieces with them. Does that make sense? Jesus loves her, picks up the pieces. She runs back to the village. A woman who was cowardly, who would not speak to anybody, who dare not be seen, runs to the city. Not only does she run to the city, she runs to the elite of the city. Let me tell you about this man. Jesus' encounter of this woman changes her trajectory. Given her shame, her reputation, and the culture of the day, she didn't speak to people. She kept to herself. She encountered her maker, and her life was never the same. But I love what happens. Because the story didn't stop with her. Because given her shame, she should have went back in a corner. But Jesus freed her from her shame and freed her from her guilt. She goes back. And I don't know if this is true or not, but perhaps this is the first time that she's ever been able to speak in that city. Perhaps this is the first time that they've ever seen her speak. And they see that and they're like, we believe because there's no way that you could be as bold as you are given who we have told you you were. Did you see what I did there? Not who you are, but who people have told you you are. You know, I, I'm in the counseling business and one of the worst things that happens to kids is that everybody wants to label them as ADD and bipolar before they actually even spend time. He's just being a rambunctious little child. But we're quick to put labels on people, to categorize people, to compartmentalize people, because that makes us feel better about ourselves. It's more comfortable when I could put you in a, in a box, close that box, and deal with you on my terms. But now she's out the box. She's out the societal cage that they put her in. She's free for the first time. She breathes for the first time. 
don't know if you know the movie Waiting to Exhale, but she exhales for the first time. Many of us go through life holding our breath. Perhaps you're here and you've been abused by men. I want you to come to Jesus. Maybe even as a man, you've been abused and used for your gifts and your talents. Maybe you just feel rejected and marginalized and minimized. I want you to encounter Jesus. Freeze you from that. And upon hearing about the encounter that this woman had, the conversion that took place in her soul, and her testimony, what do they do? Well, they said, we believe, now take us to Jesus. We want to see him. In verse 29 and 30, and 30 you see that they said, she says to him, come, 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 come see this man who told me all of who I am. Now, they have known that the Messiah would be a prophetic one. A Messiah, the Messiah would know all of who you are because the Messiah was sovereign. The Messiah was God. And when she says she encountered a woman, a, a man who knew all of who she was and yet loved her. Only God was capable of that type of love. And they went and they sought. And in verse 39, it says, from that city, many of them believed in him, in Jesus. Because of what? Because of the testimony of the woman. This is what I like to refer to as a proxy encounter. You know what it means to be proxy? It means to be indirectly encounter something. If you send a proxy ballot, it means you're not there, but you are sending that instead of yourself. A sort of substitute encounter. They encounter Jesus through her testimony, through her life, through the conversion that they've seen, through the palpable difference that is now seen in front of them. But they didn't stop there. They wanted a faith of their own. They said, let's go see. In verse 39, they go out to Jesus. In verse 40, he says, so when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him, would you stay with us? Here's the interesting thing about, about prejudice. And oppression. For many years, they were, they were oppressed by the Jews. The Jews made them feel less than human. What do you think happens if I know you hate me? At some point, that hate turns right back around. You hate me. You don't value me. Guess what? I don't value you. But for them, even as Samaritans, to now say, not only do we want to meet you, but who you are transcends your ethnic identity, Jesus. We want you to stay with us, to abide with us. We want to dwell in your presence. And Jesus, unlike any other time in Scripture, stays for two days with them. In fact, you would argue and scholars will argue that in chapter 4, no miracles took place. Folks, a whole city came to God. That's a miracle. Amen. If you felt like clapping and stomping your feet, amen. Simon says, a whole city. If one woman's testimony brought a whole city, what do you think a whole city do? They come to Jesus. They spend time with him. They sit with him. The Bible says that he abided with them. He stayed with them two days. And in verse 41, many more believed because of his word. Now, here's verse 40, 40, uh, 42, and I love this. Verse 42a, if you will. And they were saying to the woman. Now, wait a minute first. The woman would never talk to, her, to them. 
they also would never have talked spoken to the woman. Now they're having conversations. Now they're best friends. Jesus makes us friends. People who would normally not speak to each other, now they're friends. Now they're going back and forth. Like, remember that one time where we told you you didn't matter? We're sorry. <laughs> because when you matter to God, folks, I don't care if I matter to you or not. When God says, I love you, if someone says, I hate you, it means nothing to you. Because when the God who made you, because here's the thing, you know, you ever heard of Charles Spurgeon? Charles Spurgeon used to say, one time they wrote a, a news article about him, a gentleman wrote an article about him and says, Charles Spurgeon is the most vile person I've ever met. And goes on and on and, and just writes this stuff about him. And then they said, uh, 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 Pastor Charles, how do you feel about that? He said, he doesn't know me because if he knew me, he would write more than that. <laughs> That's a good stance. But guess who knows you perfectly, even your secret thoughts, and still loves you? That's a freedom that you cannot buy. That's a freedom that you cannot earn. That has to be volitionally given to you. And they saw her experience that, and they want some of that. It was contagious. They left the city, and they came down, and they met the Messiah. And he stayed with them for two days. And they said, listen, listen woman, we love you and all, but guess what? It's no longer because of what you have said that why we believe. For now, we have heard for ourselves. This proxy encounter moves into a personal encounter. And he says, now we know that this one indeed is the savior of the world. Folks, that's the amen moment. It's always interesting when you share the gospel with folks or you live a life of godliness as much as you can as a human before people and they believe in God because of your testimony. But the greatest thing is when they own their faith, when their relationship with God is personal and doesn't include you, when you are no longer the sort of barometer for what is godly or not, but when they go to God personally and they have a personal relationship with God. That's an awesome moment. And they experience that. The whole city experiences that. The whole city sees that he is a savior. But what does it mean that he's the savior of the world? This is the greatest revelation that they had received. That this Jesus was not just the savior of the Samaritans. You would think that's what they would say. That he saved our people from what? From their sins, from the judgment to come. But they say... He is the savior of the world, letting us know that Jesus is not a tribal God. Jesus is not a racial God. Jesus is not an economic God, but Jesus transcends all those things. He's the God of people. And we exist here that people may encounter their God. Notice what I said there, not my God, because I do have a personal relationship, but their God. The God who made me and made them. All that we do here, this sermon, this code, is meant to remind us that we exist to bring people into the presence of God. From the way we light our stage, to the way we create our programs, to the way that we minister, to the way that we gather together, the, the activities that we do, all of that is geared to create a moment where you and I can encounter Jesus. That's all that it is, folks. Because if you're here to in, encounter Pastor Daniel, you in for a rude surprise. 
Because someday I'm not as godly as I feel. Amen. I can feel your judgments. Like he's past it. He's supposed to be perfect. No. All we do, all I do in my life is hope that I can abide in the presence of God. Because my wife will tell you that when I'm not in the presence of God, I look like a different person. I sound like a different person. You know, Pastor Nathan, my first Sunday here, said that I was witty. Imagine that wittiness without being godly. It's a sharp tongue, ain't it? Yeah. We are people who want other people to experience God's presence. We exist to do that. As much as it's dependent on us, we want everybody to know that Life Church exists to welcome people from all life, all walks of life, that you may encounter Jesus. If you would stand with me. He's the savior of the world. He's the savior of our soul. He rescues us. He rescues us from the power of sin, from the presence of sin, and eventually from the penalty of sin. And you are here, you may fall into one of these three groups. I'm not intending to go back on my word that people label people, but you may fit in one of these categories. Perhaps you are a Christian, and you cannot even remember the first or the last time you encountered the presence of God. The white hot flame that once burned in your soul for the goodness of God, for the glory of God, no longer exists. Life, circumstances, complacency even, has sort of blown that fire away. My prayer is that you would encounter him afresh. My hope is that you would know the love of God, that you would be rocked by the beauty of Jesus. You would see the person and purpose of Christ even manifested in someone such as you. I pray that he would ignite that fire and that you would burn with an eternal flame that folks around you will say, take me to Jesus. And that you would know his peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding and all circumstances. Maybe that's you willing to pray with you, willing to talk with you, willing to connect with you, to partner with you on that journey. Everybody who claims the title pastor here and even seasoned Christians, we love you, you belong, and we want you to re-encounter Jesus. Maybe you're in a second group. Man, you on fire for Jesus. You burn it so fast that we can't put anything ignitable around you. Amen. I know what that feels like. I also know what it feels like to burn out. My prayer for you is that you don't get so much stuck on the work of God and forget the God of the work. My hope and prayer for you is that you keep yourself in the presence of God. And like Moses, you say, if he doesn't go with us, we do not go. My prayer is that you don't fizzle out and burn midway in the journey. My prayer is that you persevere by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not by might, not by strength, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Maybe that's you. Want to partner with you as well. Connect with you as well. Walk with you. Iron sharpens iron. You sharpen me, I sharpen you. You belong to encounter Jesus. 
Maybe you fall in this third category. You've never encountered Jesus, haven't thought of that. Why is it important for you to encounter Jesus? Well, quite frankly, friend, because he's the savior of the world. Acts chapter 4, 12 says it this way. Salvation is found in nobody else but Jesus. There is no plan B that never was. There is no do-over. My hope, my prayer to you is that like the Samaritans, you will say, Daniel, is not because of your testimony that I believe, but that I have met the Savior, and now I believe because he is the Savior of the world. That's my prayer for you. Categories are fickle. Wherever you find yourself, connect with us. Partner with us as we partner with you. We want to see you encounter Jesus because heaven and hell are at stake. Where you spend your eternity is at stake. And I don't mean to pull on your emotions, but facts are facts. We all will close our eyes one day. And at that point, ain't no sermons. Ain't no altar calls. Ain't no re-encountering Jesus. Because the Jesus we encounter then is Lord, fullness of glory. There are no do-overs. Let's pray. Father, my heart burns and aches. Not just for those who don't know you. But as I recall moments when I have stepped away from your presence, even while claiming the title Christian, when I played with sin and enjoyed the pleasures of the world more than the everlasting pleasure of knowing you, I'm sure I'm not the only one. As it says, there are no new news, just old news happening to new people. This Christian walk is just that. It's not a race, it's a walk. It's a marathon. And we fight and we wrestle to keep our flesh under. And some of us give in to it because there's no winning. Throughout this picture, Lord, throughout this text, we are either the Samaritans who don't know you or the woman who knows you and comes to share. Wherever we find ourselves on that spectrum, Lord, encounter us as we encounter you. As one of my brothers said, my brother Stephen said, that Jesus sovereignly selected the appropriate time to be at the well that he may meet her. When we think about encountering you, it's not something we force ourselves to do. It's your prerogative, it's your will, it's your sovereign decree. So Lord, we wish, we wait for you, we pray that the Spirit of God will bring us into your presence. And maybe you have felt the presence of God and you may pray like this. Father, I have sinned and come short of your glory, of your standard, of your mark, the mark is 100 and I hit 99, I'm still short. 
And Lord, would you help me to see you, to know you, to know the joy that the woman at the well experienced. That I too may lose my shame, my guilt, and take on your goodness, your comfort, and your completeness. If you pray that prayer wholeheartedly, we want to speak with you. We want to connect with you. This is just the beginning. As God is doing a good thing in you that he will complete until the day of recompense. Keep us as only you can, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find out more information about Life Church Canton or other churches in the Life Church Network, you can go to lifechurchcanton.org or fill out the form linked in the show notes below and someone from the church will reach out to you with more information. If you came to Life Church for the first time this past weekend, we would love to know about it. We believe that life isn't meant to be lived in isolation, but we want to connect with you and learn to live like Jesus in community together. If you want to email the show, you can do that at podcast at lifechurchcanton.org. You can subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying it, please share it with a friend and leave us a review. Once again, my name is Sam Parham, and you've been listening to the Life Church Canton podcast. Have a great week, everybody.